Hi, this is Brodus Clay, and you're listening to another wrestling podcast, and you do know that. It's time for uh, another wrestling podcast with your hosts, Steve Credo and Jonathan Benjamin. Right, all right, Jonathan. We're at number thirty, baby. This is another wrestling podcast. I I cannot believe it. Not only is it number thirty, it is the last show of twenty fourteen. Wow, last show of twenty fourteen, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the last show. I'm Steve Credo. I'm well. One of your hosts. I'm Jonathan Benjamin. I'm your other host. And uh, that's that's what we do, kids. That's uh, this is it. This is us. This is what we're doing. This is what we've been doing for 30 episodes, Jonathan. We're talking some wrestling. We're going to talk to some wrestlers, uh, and we're going to have a good show. Yeah, probably um, the best show that we've done, I would say. All right. Well, uh, maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. Either way, stick around, guys, because we got one heck of a show. That's right, Jonathan. H-E-C-K. One heck of a show. Uh, We have... Two pro wrestlers coming on, Jonathan. Who are they? Tell them, everyone. Tell them. Tell let everybody know who's coming on. Well, these are two guys that are a huge inspiration. I think they are uh, um, amazing athletes and just people in general. They are the handicapped heroes, Zach Gowan and Gregory Iron. That's right, guys. The handicap heroes. They're doing something unique now. Uh, something that really nobody else can do, kind of. But them right now, and uh, I give them the utmost credit, the utmost respect for doing what they do, because uh, I don't know if you've seen some of their videos lately online or on YouTube or whatnot, but it's hilarious, and uh, I can't wait to hear for for what they have to say. So uh, guys, stick around, they're going to be coming up in a little bit, but Jonathan, this is our last show of the the year. The last show of the year, man. We, we did 30. Um, do you have any New Year's resolutions? What, what, what can people expect in the new year from us? I don't know. Um, I think that from, from us, they're going to just, they should expect, and we will deliver on it. It's just more shows, uh, bigger names. We've done 30 shows in, you know, so we have 52 at least to do next year. So, um, we've obviously started partnerships with FWE, uh, wrestling, also Northeast wrestling. So you can expect to to see us at a bunch more live events, and uh, I think resolution wise for me personally is just to uh, keep getting better and more entertaining. That's right. Uh, we're, we're we're pretty much taking over, Jonathan. It's easy to say that. I mean, we started off in Rhode Island. We're going to be head back there in June for the Fan Fest Five this year. We're going to be out there interviewing. We're going to be doing live shows out there. Uh, FWE. We're going to be going to Queens. We're going to be going to some FWE events in the city. We're going to be going all over to Northeast Wrestling events and a lot of other independent places and so on and so forth. Jonathan, we're going to be all over, hitting the convention floors, hitting you know anything and everything. I mean, nothing. The sky is the limit this year for what we have in store 
Turf with another wrestling podcast. We're more than a podcast. I mean, we're becoming a whole another wrestling show, if you will. I mean, it, it, we're developing, Jonathan, day by day. Yeah, we are a conglomeration of uh, of wrestling, and uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, something that you can tell the, everybody who's listening today is that we will be live in Living Color in Poughkeepsie, New York, at the WPDH Man Show. That's right, uh, and he's not even reading it off the screen, kids. He remember he memorized that the WPDH yeah. Man Show. It's happening on Royal Rumble Day. Uh, I'm not going to even give you the date, but whenever you know when the Royal Rumble is, that's when it's happening. It's the end of January. Make sure you head on out there. We're going to be talking to maybe some wrestlers, maybe some ladies, maybe some. I don't know. Anybody and everybody. We're going to be doing it live. We're going to be talking wrestling with some of the fans coming out there. Uh, it's not a wrestling show, Jonathan, so if you guys are heading to the man show, it's more than wrestling. So for the fans out there that do love wrestling, stop by, shake our hands, we'll kiss your babies, we'll do all that. We want to meet and greet each and every one of you. Uh, Jonathan likes hugs. Make sure you hug him. Uh, I will. I will also... Kiss your hand and shake your baby if you uh, if you're into that shaken baby syndrome. Yes, where else could you get that but another wrestling podcast? Because guys, we want we're going all over in the new year, Jonathan. I mean, this is the end of 2014. Hello, 2015. Next tomorrow, uh, you know, the next day. But uh, wow, we we did a lot this year, Jonathan. A lot of wrestling stuff. A lot of a lot of things that we never really done before, and uh, we we're only growing from here. Pretty much is what we have to say, I guess. Yeah, I want, uh, as far as resolutions for our fans, I think that the biggest thing for me is I want you to all get involved, get more involved. Tweet us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, look at our pictures on Instagram, go through the whole thing, tell us what you want, tell us what you like, tell us what you don't like, because after all, we are doing this for you, we're doing this for us, but mainly for you, and if there's something that you want to see that we haven't delivered on yet, please let us know so we can help grow our fan base. That's right, guys. And uh, head on over to anotherwrestlingpodcast.com. You'll find all the links that he just mentioned. Uh, even We even have a store on Pro Wrestling Tees. Did you know that? A store, our very own store. Where could you find that, Jonathan? Uh, you can find that at prowrestlingtees.com slash another wrestling podcast. That's right, guys. Pick up a shirt. Support us because we support each and every one of you. Whatever you do, we're going to support you uh, to a certain extent. But, I mean, guys, head on over there. Clothe yourself in a new shirt. Uh, We're going to have a lot more new shirts coming out this year, so stay tuned. uh, Or next year, I should say. So, guys, a lot of of things happen this year. A lot of, you know, maybe, I guess, Jonathan, we can kind of call us the underdogs of the year. uh, Coming in there and, you know, rising above the rest, if you will. Rising above all the other wrestling podcasts hope nobody ever takes that name because if we mean you split up i could be the other wrestling podcast and you could still have another wrestling podcast anyway i'm already talking about the breakup here of uh, yeah i'm not gonna put you through the barbershop window i just think that uh i think we've got a good thing going here that's right so underdogs let's talk about underdogs i mean this show we have not the underdog from a television cartoon fame 
But, you know, underdogs in general, because we're going to have Zach Gowan and Gregory Iron coming up. I guess you can kind of call them underdogs of, you know, guys who you didn't really think, you know, were, are wrestlers, but they are wrestlers. You know, the definition of an underdog is a competitor thought to have a little chance of winning a fight or a contest. So take that definition, if you will, and let's talk about some underdogs in pro wrestling, Jonathan. Who who are some of your, I don't know, maybe favorite underdogs that you really cheered for in into to winning, I guess? Wow, uh, I, this is a great, great thing. And I do believe that Zach Gowan, obviously, um, is is probably one of the biggest underdogs. He was diagnosed very early on with uh, a cancer that they had no choice but to amputate his leg. So um, he was not only a professional wrestler, he was an amateur wrestler in high school. And he went on to to become like he not only did he wrestle in the WWE which is the biggest wrestling promotion of all the times but he thrived there as well as like he was in the main event with people like Brock Lesnar who's the WWE champion right now um i think that he is one of those people that is when when you said that about the definition of an underdog i see that as Zach Allen totally yeah, definitely. I mean, there's been there's been a lot of underdogs because I mean, if you think back into the 80s, early 90s, when you put on pro wrestling on TV, and I think the greatest example I like using is WrestleMania 6, Hogan versus Warrior. Uh, if you look at them in the middle of the ring next to Hebner, look at the size of him. I mean, these guys just look massive. Uh, and you know, when you think wrestler, you think larger than life. But you know, as the times changed these big guys weren't really big anymore and we kind of cut down on the steroids and, you know, went to real athleticism and, you know, a lot of the smaller guys were being the underdogs. So, I mean, uh, there's been a handful. If we just want to talk out, talk about the latest underdog that kind of had a, a good year and then a bad year. Uh, one of the favorites of 2014 was Daniel Bryan. Uh, who would have thought he would have been put into the main event uh, at WrestleMania 30 and it all just snowballed from the Royal Rumble, right, Jonathan? I mean, these are the fans getting behind these guys now and making these wrestlers, these underdogs, because without the fans supporting him and wanting to see him at WrestleMania, uh, what would we have been stuck with at WrestleMania 30? It definitely would not have been Daniel Bryan versus Batista versus Orton. I mean, he's probably one of the biggest uh, underdogs, if you will, of our time right now because just of his size... Uh, you know, he was a megastar in the indies, he came to WWE, he was released, went back to the indies, hired again by WWE, choked Justin Roberts, fired by WWE, rehired, you know, back and forth, back and forth, and, you know, finally this whole yes movement, you know, got him going, got behind the fans, the fans, you know, f- made that connection with him, and that's the biggest thing right now with wrestling today, is you got to make a connection with this guy to to relate to him in a way and you know that's what they did and that's what they I think the fans really you know pushed him further than he ever could have did by himself in the WWE and uh, I mean I I think 2014 the biggest underdog right there was Daniel Bryan and uh, I mean there's a lot more other guys to talk about but that's just the one if you will I would say that 2014 was the year of the underdog. If you look back at some of these people that are now like in the main event picture, whether it be Bray Wyatt, Seth Rollins, Dean Ambrose, like these are people that aren't your typical mold for professional wrestlers. And uh, I think that these guys obviously have proved themselves, and now they're all considered you know main event people. But if you look back, like you're saying in the in the 80s and 90s. 
you had people that were they they prided themselves. They called they used to call WWE the land of the giants. And um, I think that the the one person that I keep coming back to is um, the arch enemy of your favorite person. But I would say Shawn Michaels. Um, you know, you look at him nowadays, and you would never say, "Oh, well, he was an underdog." But he was constantly told he was too small to be a main eventer. Him and Marty Jannetty came in from the AWA to WWE, and um, actually, two guys didn't like them, and pretty much ratted them out and told Vince that they started this huge brawl and they got fired from WWE. And um, then once he got back to the WWE, him and Marginetti had a pretty successful tag team career, even though they technically didn't win the WWE tag team titles. And then you see, we mentioned it a, a second ago, Sean put Marty through the barbershop window. You think, oh, great, this guy's now going to go out on his own. And he kind of just floated around in mediocrity there for a while. He was a singles guy. He was having amazing matches, but they never saw him as a main eventer. And you you then see that, okay, they're going to start to slowly build this guy as a, as a he's the intercontinental champion. Okay, we're going to have him be the world champion. But then they blamed all of, like, the ratings failures on Shawn Michaels yeah. because it was right when, you know, Diesel and Razor went to WCW – so, like, not only is he overcoming, like, all this stuff, he's now the champion, which he didn't think would ever happen. And then they say, well, we blame you for the ratings. So he starts to build back up again, and wouldn't you know it, he's wrestling The Undertaker, injures his back. They tell him he's never going to wrestle again. He's out for, like, four years, and then overcame all that and went on to have, like, a ridiculous career, and he's now in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, man, he he definitely fought for a lot of that stuff, and I mean, if you think about the time he was born, well, at least in the WWE era, you know, with the Rockers and stuff, and that, if you go back to then, you definitely, definitely, if anybody told you back then, hey, 10 years, 15 years from now, this guy's going to be, you know, the biggest star around, you'd be like, yeah, right, you know, please, but, you know, he he, he grew on everybody, and, uh, you know, when you give somebody the chance that you know has the talent things, you know, develop into such uh, harmony, if you will. You know, things come together full circle. Uh, and that's a lot of these guys that I look at now. I'm not going to even name them, but I don't want to get into that. But, I mean, there's a lot of guys now that you just look at. It's like, give them the chance. You know, these guys could be the next, you know, superstars. But it, I don't know. I feel like some people backstage just still are in that habit of we need these big guys, big guys, and they just don't understand the talent someday, sometimes that are just in front of their face. And I mean, one other guy we could talk about, uh, Spike Dudley. I mean, when you, you go to ECW, you look at Spike Dudley, and before you even so, seen him do anything, you're like, what what is this? This is a joke. But, you know, just having this small guy uh, beat the big giants, you know, with the acid drop and all that stuff, it was entertaining it was hilarious it was fun to see the small guy you know beat these big guys up i mean he always went after you know he went after everybody but i mean it was fun to see him doing it to like you know the the big guys but uh he was just an entertaining guy in ecw and you know what i mean like for him being this underdog of this guy's never gonna amount to anything uh it's still they still put him in a good place to be like hey i may be little but i sure have a lot of fight in me, you know what I mean? Uh, and I mean, I don't want to get too much into him because I know it's Spike Dudley, but I mean, still, uh, it, it was a small. He was a small guy. He took a lot of punishment, um, and you know, he 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 could still come out today and make a crowd pop for you know just being 
just doing the Spike Dudley stuff. So I don't know. I mean, he's just one little guy. I mean, he didn't have the Shawn Michael uh, the career, but I mean, just another underdog, if you will. Yeah, but I mean, like you think about it, and to this day, like you said, if he came out, but he's had a lot of longevity. Like some of yeah. these people who have made it to WWE or even WCW, TNA, Ring of Honor, whatever. Um, they have been all but forgotten. Like, there's going to be a time when you're like, oh, uh, Jinder Mahal, like, yeah, he had a run in WWE, but if he came out tonight, no one would really probably go crazy. Yeah. Whereas Spike Dudley, like, his music hits and everybody still, they, they really like him. So That's it. I mean, that's the thing. I, I guess, you know, we I don't know. Maybe they got to listen to the fans more because it's like, yeah, he may not be big, but he could still have an impact. A lot of these guys can still have a great impact as much as, you know, Hogan could have. Or, you know what I mean? These, these bigger guys could have. And I'm not saying he's going to be the face of the company. He's, he's just, you know, another notch in the belt, if you will, the company that, you know, he still can entertain people. And he still has, you know, the charisma, the talent. These guys, a lot of these underdogs I were talking about, you know, they may not be the biggest guy, but they still have a big fight in them. And, hey, they were still... I don't know. They still had the entertainment value for for all of us that we loved watching. So, yeah, I think that, like one of the people that we we haven't really got into yet, but it's this person to me epitomizes what I look at as someone who has the heart of a professional wrestler and all that. But if you looked at them up against any other professional wrestler in today's landscape, you would say that guy is not a, a professional wrestler, and that's Mick Foley. I mean. He is. He has been in every promotion. Um, he has done pretty much everything that you can think of in the in the business of, of wrestling, and he doesn't fit that mold at all. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, he, he he definitely didn't look the at, the most athletic. You know what I mean? So he's he's a guy that's kind of big, but you know, well, not fat, fat. But I mean, he wasn't. St- too small, but he, you know, he didn't look like a wrestler. Is pretty much what you're saying, which is right. Yeah, and I mean, like, if you think about, it, they put him in so many different gimmicks, and I almost wonder sometimes if they were like, "Listen, we have to find something for this guy, so he's going to be mankind." And then that went over well enough that they're like, "You know what? We're going to try something else." And then they threw Dude Love at him, and like everything that he did, he did with such like like heart that it all got over. Yep. And I mean, he he had so many injuries. Some of them were career threatening, life threatening, um, and now he's a Hall of Famer. And once again, like you said, if you look back when he came into when he was in he was Jack Foley in WWF back in the day, you would have looked at this guy and thought, oh, he, here's just another jobber. But I mean, he's a Hall of Famer. That's right. A lot of these guys, I mean, there's, you know, you think about wrestling, you think about pro wrestling, you think about Hulk Hogan, you know, you think about the bigger guys, the big guys that, you know, were in the spotlight, but a lot of these underdogs, (laughs) you know, had a lot of impact on the business that you just don't realize. I mean, granted, a lot of people love CM Punk and a lot of people hate CM Punk, but, you know, he was an undersized guy and, you know, he he was a big, he was a huge independent star, uh, but when he was in WWE, they almost didn't know what to do with him because it's like, all right, you just look like a normal guy, but, you know, when you kind of give him the chance to break out and, you know, do some promos, get on TV, get noticed, let the crowd, you know, 
get into your character in a way. You know, I'm trying to think of a better word to use, but you know, he may be he may look like a regular guy, or he's the straight edge guy with some tattoos. You're like, mm, this isn't really a gimmick. Well, look at what it happened. You know, it turned out you know to be a big success for him throughout the independence and throughout his WWE career. Um, you know, it, it, just another name to add to the list of uh, underdogs. Uh, you know, there's only so much you can say about some of these guys, but I mean, you know who they are, uh, and just think about them. You know, because they're they're not like the Hulk Hogan's. I gotta keep using him because you know he's the the larger than life superstar. He's the guy that put it all on the map. But there's all these other guys that. You know, they said they don't have, you know, they don't have what it takes, and then look what happens when they give them that little bit of uh, wiggle room to break out of, uh, the, you know, the shell, if you will. Yeah, uh, you look at, like, let's say you talked about CM Punk, that's more current, but if you look back to, you know, 5, 10, I would probably now going on 15 years, if you look at Rey Mysterio, that guy... In, in Mexico, they have a different style there. So they, they do lucha. And obviously, they're more geared to that style. But in America, prior to really ECW, no one had really seen that style. So you get somebody, like look at the normal people that are in the current WWE roster right now. And they're not, you know, he's probably, not only is he giving up inches, he's probably giving up feet to some of these superstars. Yeah. So, you know, he's one of the smallest competitors in WWE history, minus, you know, Sky Lolo and Little Beaver and the Haiti Kid. But um, he went through every major promotion, WWE, ECW, WCW, and not only that, but he became a champion in, like, all those companies. You know, I could never understand how every time he wrestled somebody – they always manage to land on that second rope. Nobody else could do that in any other match. It just blows my mind sometimes. I don't know. What was he yeah. doing different? That <laughs> well, well, it's crazy, too, is you think about how he was used in all those companies. Like in ECW, he was a pretty strong competitor. I mean, they had a lot of different people that worked well with his style. But when he was in WCW, somehow, even after being lawn darted into a production truck by the NWO, they, he still walked away being you know looked at as a competitor like they kept him around for a long time because he had a huge appeal but that's what you're saying too the fans really got into him um but yeah i would definitely say he's like on my top 10 list of underdogs i would say he's probably you know top five for me one of the biggest underdogs i think ever and i'm not just saying this because i'm a heart fan but Owen Hart. Owen Hart was probably one of the biggest underdogs in his generation. Um, I mean, being under the shadow of Bret the Hitman Hart, uh, you know, your brother's the world champion, you're kind of still trying to find a name for yourself, and, you know, you, you can't really do that to where your brother's got all the credit right now, to where, you know, he's doing all this, but... You know, Owen Hart, I think, kind of showed the world what he could do when it was WrestleMania 10, when it was his brother versus brother. Uh, and Brother. Brother. <laughs> and, uh, you know, fought Bret Hart. Um, and, and, you know, I think that was, I don't know, I think that was one of his biggest breakout matches of beating his brother, uh, who, who then would later win the WWE Championship. But that's besides the point. Owen Hart, you know, he was... He was the, the he's part of the Hart family, you know. He wrestled in the Hart Dungeon. Uh, he, I don't know. He, I, I kind of wish, you know, he didn't pass away so tragically because I kind of wonder where his career would have taken him. You know, like would he, 
would he have been a bigger star than what he was then? You know what I mean? It's all those what ifs, what ifs, what ifs. But I mean, he was a great wrestler. He was a great worker. Um, you know, a big underdog because it's like you never really thought you'd get too much out of him. But when you stuck him with something else, you know, he kept going with it and going with it. And I don't know. He was probably one of my favorite underdogs of all time, Owen Hart. And uh, I don't know. What do you think about Owen Hart being, you know, living in the shadow of Bret Hart and all that? I think that. Brett was always touted for his like professionalism and how well he was at wrestling. But I think that given the modern like entertainment era, I think that there was a chance that Owen Hart could have overcame Brett and his shadow. Like I think that definitely Owen was the more entertaining of the two. Yeah, and I mean when Bret Hart left, uh, you know, after the whole Montreal screw job you know, uh, Owen kind of shined a little bit. He kind of started main eventing with Shawn Michaels because uh, uh, I was actually there at D-Generation X pay-per-view, the first pay-per-view since the screw job, and he actually came out through the audience, you know, beating up HBK in the uh, the main event out there. And, you know, it was like, wow, okay, maybe we'll see a little bit of uh, what Owen has to give. And, you know, he, he it was different. He was a little heel, but uh, I don't know. There were so many classic things with Owen Hart that it was just like... People could may have called him upper upper mid card or whatever if you want, but I mean he, I think he would have been a great WWE champion if given the chance and opportunity. But uh, I guess we'll, we'll, it's one of those things we'll never know, you know. Yeah, uh, you mentioned like who he was uh, wrestling with. He wrestled with this next guy that I'm about to talk about, and I think that no one ever puts this guy in the underdog category. But I I I do things differently, so I'm gonna definitely put him there. I think that Stone Cold Steve Austin is an underdog. Um, And people may be driving right now, and they may have just pulled off on the side of the road or ran into something when I said that. But the the truth of the matter is, you know, he wasn't one of those people that when And, you know, you can watch the documentaries. You can hear interviews. He wasn't one of those people that started their career with much, like, fanfare. No one was really... They said, yeah, he's a good hand. That's what you hear all the time. Yeah, he was a good hand. He worked, you know, he was a good worker or whatever. But, like, no one ever said, that guy right there, you know, he's he's got it until later on in his career. So, you know, he started down in Texas. Um, he finally got signed to WCW. He struggled to, to do certain things because there was backstage politics, different owners coming in and out. He was with the Hollywood Blondes. He won the television title, you know, but never really – came to fruition and then he was fired by Eric Bischoff via FedEx and uh, then he went to you know ECW and in ECW Paul Heyman saw something in him but as far as like anybody ever saying that's it that's the next WWE champion no one saw it so much so that what happened when he came to WWE that's right he was the ringmaster And, uh, you know, after that, if you look at that tape, if you look back and watch him as the ringmaster, I don't care who you are, you can say that you saw him coming a mile away or whatever, but <laughs> no one, no one said that guy right there is going to take professional wrestling to the heights that he did and break all the records and all that stuff. He is an ultimate underdog. That's right. And a lot. Of, I think the moral of the story with all these underdogs is that you know, people may have said you might not have been big, you might not have any, you know, talent, you, you know, you're not going to amount to much, 
But when they were given that little 15 minutes of spotlight to, to shine, you know, they took it and ran with it. And you can go back to the Austin 316, you know, King of the Ring speech where it kind of blew the door open for him. Uh, it, it's these guys, you know, they got to, when they're given that opportunity out there to shine, that's what they got to do. They got to take that ball and run with it. Uh, whether it's 30 seconds, a minute, 15 minutes, you know, however much time you have, that's your time. And, you know, maybe you have that character of being a, a garbage man or, you have that character of being a dancer. You know, maybe you don't like it, but you know what? Maybe you could do something about it uh, and do something to get over, get yourself over. You know, I don't know. You you got to reach for the stars. You got to shake it up. You got to grab those brass rings, if you will, Jonathan. But a lot of these guys, you know, that we mentioned today, you know, they uh, they 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 turned a lot of heads because we did not expect any of that to come from when these guys first came in and that's what's the great part of talking about a lot of these underdogs and I know there's tons tons of more guys out there uh, let us know what you think who do you think was the biggest underdog ever in pro wrestling you know shoot us an email tweet us at a wrestling pod facebook us you know if you're listening to the show on a link comment on it whatever go to another wrestling leave your thoughts let us know what you think about it. So that's what we want. We want to hear what you guys think too, and we'll respond to you online. We're good with that. Uh, but Jonathan... And if you're, if, you, if you're listening in the future, then beam something into my brain about who your biggest underdog was. Wow. We're already into the future. 2015, baby. 2015 almost. Uh, wow, Jonathan. I mean, it, we come to the end of uh, the year, but we're not done yet. We have some interviews coming up. Coming up next, we're going to be sitting down with... Gregory Iron. Well, everybody, uh, I am more than excited today. Uh, we have somebody who is an inspiration to not only you know people out there who are looking to become a professional wrestler, but just an inspiration to anybody. We have none other than the handicap hero, Gregory Iron. Gregory, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me on the show, man. Appreciate it. Um, so I'm going to just get right into it. Um, you had what I would call major obstacles at a very early age, um, where others may have probably given up. What kept you like ultimately dreaming that you wanted to become a professional wrestler? Well, you know, I was born with cerebral palsy, which basically is a disability that affects primarily the right side of my body. Um, it varies in most people, but for me, it's, most noticeable in my right hand and arm and growing up before I entered school, I didn't really think I was very much different than anybody else. But once I started to get around kids more, that's when I started to realize, Oh, I, I guess I am a little different because you know, I, I liked all the same things that I thought kids liked, like Ninja Turtles and Power Rangers and, uh, you know, playing with toys. And I, I didn't see myself as any different than anyone. And, you know, once you enter school and you're around kids all the time and, and the bullying begins, then you get to see that, I guess, everyone's different and not everybody accepts people for their differences, especially when they don't understand them. So you combine that with, you know, my home life that I had, which, you know, I grew up with a very uh, abusive physically and mentally uh, mom, and sometimes my dad wasn't the best either. My mom was very heavily addicted to drugs and alcohol, and so, you know, being around that type of stuff all the time, you know, it uh, gives you a very negative vibe, a very negative energy, and uh, it could easily pull a kid down, and, and they could use that as an excuse for the rest of their life to go down the wrong path. Luckily for me, 
I had things to focus my time and energy on. Like I enjoyed writing and drawing, but the the one thing that was the most powerful motivator for me more than anything was professional wrestling. And it was something that I found as an escape. You know, if things were going bad at home, if we were being evicted, if kids were bullying me at school, I could turn to professional wrestling on Monday night or Saturday morning or Sunday morning or pop in a VHS tape. Uh, and you know, I, I could forget about all my problems and I can get lost in these larger than life superheroes for me. You know, some kids have Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, and uh, obviously I was in all those things too, but for me, there was no greater superheroes than the guys that I saw on WF television, like Hulk Hogan and Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels and Macho Man Randy Savage and Jake the Snake Roberts. Like those guys were my heroes and they were my inspirations to kind of make me keep going and, and sort of see that, yeah, you know, there is a light at the end of the tunnel and you can overcome odds if you work hard and you stay dedicated to the things that you truly care about. Okay. Um, now, at what age did you decide, you know what, this is it, professional wrestling is what I'm going to do? You know, it was one of those things where uh, I I just kept getting more and more obsessed with wrestling. Like, it was something that, you know, when I was in elementary school and middle school, it was kind of one of those things that I think my, my parents thought, and I also kind of subconsciously thought was, you know, I, I would just grow out of this at some point. And it wasn't something that I was trying to do or something, but I just thought like, you know, at some point you just kind of, I don't know, you grew out of wrestling, but I just kept getting deeper and deeper in it and, and reading more magazines and watching more tapes and reading, uh, more in depth wrestling websites to, and learning insider information. And, you know, I thought I was the smartest wrestling fan in the world. Like every, <laughs> every kid that goes online nowadays thinks, and, uh, you know, I just, I just kept getting deeper and deeper and it got to the point where, you know, because of my disability, I never really thought, hey, I, I could be a wrestler, but my friends kind of implanted in my mind, well, maybe you could do something else in wrestling. Maybe you could be a commentator. Maybe you could be a writer because we were figuring out that people wrote scripts for wrestling and stuff. And, and so, I, so I started gearing my energy towards things like that. And, uh, you know, I was studying tape and, like, commentary and just trying to soak up all the information I could. Like, I, for some reason, I had the thought process that, like, guys like Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone literally memorized all of the information that they were spewing out on Monday nights. And so I thought, like, okay, like, I got to memorize who won every Royal Rumble. And I got to memorize the whole card of WrestleMania 17 and blah, blah, blah. Like, crazy stuff like that. So now today, like, I'm, you know, almost a walking encyclopedia of useless wrestling knowledge from, like, you know, 10 and 20 years ago. So uh, because of that drive that I had to somehow be a part of wrestling. But... When I was about 16, uh, I saw Zach Allen on TV, on SmackDown, and obviously, you know, Zach wrestled with my legs, and when I saw that, I think it was the first time that I kind of stopped and went, holy crap, like, maybe this is possible, and uh, it wasn't that much longer after that that I started lifting weights, and, uh, you know, again, I wasn't really thinking, okay, I'm going to be a wrestler. I started lifting weights, and I got a bench because I asked my dad, because, Secretly, I wanted to try to get the attention of girls. It wasn't because I was like, now I'm going to be a wrestler. But it was subconsciously in the back of my mind somewhere because I saw Zach. And I kept lifting weights more and more often. And it eventually got to the point where I was going to WWE shows and I started going to independent events. And 
it would start out where I was just having a good time and enjoying myself. But then there would always come this point, like halfway through the show where I almost, I, I almost got like depressed feeling like watching these guys in the ring. And I don't know what show it was, but it just, it just came over me all of a sudden. I thought to myself, like, I really want to be in there. Like, I, I wish that was me. I want to do that. And so like, that was like, those were like some of the first moments where I was like, maybe I should try to be a wrestler. So when I started going to independent shows in 2005, um, I was about 18 years old. Uh, I started going to Cleveland all pro wrestling, which was, um, within 10 minutes of my house. And, uh, the first show I ever saw was main evented by Buff Bagwell and Chris Hamrick. JT lightning was promoter. I talked to JT lightning. Um, I basically shared my story. We had actually talked on the phone previous a year earlier about me training to be a wrestler. And, uh, Again, I didn't think it was possible. I was asking him, how do you be a manager? How do you be a referee? Like, I'd like to train for that. I don't think I could do it. And he was actually the first person that kind of encouraged me to, like, just come to school and try. And it still took me a year to get there because I was so afraid that I was going to try to do something that I love so much and fail. And I was worried that what if I fail at this and I think of wrestling differently? Like, what if I hate wrestling? And I didn't want to hate wrestling. So it's just all of these feelings and emotions that – you know, you're feeling when you, when you care about something so much, and especially when you're a teenager and you're growing up and you're trying to figure out who you are and, and what you're going to become. Like those were, there were a lot of crazy emotions going through within my brain at 18 years old. And, uh, you know, when I first started training in 2006, it was scary, but doing that tryout and getting my ass kicked was the first steps and it hurt, but I kept going back because, I wanted to get better and I wanted to succeed. And to be quite honest, because of high school and the way kids treated me and the way my, my parents treated me sometimes and told me, you know, I wouldn't be able to do any of the dreams I wanted to do. I had a chip on my shoulder. I wanted to prove people wrong and, and to take those first steps in the professional wrestling. Like that was, that was my way to prove people wrong. So I, I guess to answer your question, it was a very, very, very long process to finally figure out like, I'm going to get in professional wrestling business because I didn't know how to get in the business. And I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. I never thought I'd be a wrestler. I never thought that right now we'd be talking on the phone and I'd be telling you eight years after I started training in 2006, like, Hey, I'm a kind of successful professional wrestler, but here we are. <laughs> well, it's once again, like I said, uh, it's an inspiring story. And, um, I guess for me, it's one of the questions I wanted to ask was, how were you received in the locker room during your, you know, the early stages of your career? So you said that you were wrestling in Cleveland, yeah. Um, and you kind of knew some of the people who you were wrestling with. Did did anybody try to, you know, in the locker room talk you out of it, or were they, you know, was anybody not open to the idea of you wrestling? Um. When I first started training, I distinctly remember JT Lightning um, always saying to me when he would teach me basic things like how to tie up or how to do a drop down or a shoulder tackle or a couple of chain wrestling type maneuvers. He would always say to me, this is a basic of professional wrestling. And if you can't do this, I can't continue training you. And that always scared the crap out of me because I was afraid that like, man, if I can't do this one simple little thing, JT's going to stop training me. And, uh, I didn't want that to happen. So if we did something basic and I couldn't figure out how to do it the conventional way, I'd find a different way to do it because I didn't want to be told I can't train anymore. Cause that was, that was going to be failure and I didn't want to fail. Um, 
as far as when I would start wrestling on shows, which I thought was entirely too soon in retrospect. Now at the time it was three months after I started training and mostly because JP wanted to sell tickets, he started throwing me on shows and, um, obviously I was excited, but I didn't know any better. You know, looking back at it, I wish I would have got like a year or two more of training before I got thrown out there. But when I was in the locker room, I was just a shy, quiet kid. But when I warmed up to, I was cocky and I had that chip on my shoulder and I, I talked a lot of trash and I got on the wrong side of a lot of people. And it took a couple months for a guy by the name of Josh Prohibition to kind of pull me aside and, and tell me, Hey man, a lot of people don't like you. And if you keep acting the way you're acting, you're going to get blackballed from doing anything in wrestling before you even get anywhere. You need to stop telling people what you do, you can do, and you need to show them what you can do. And I think that was the first wake-up call that I really had because I, I respected Josh Prohibition so much. He was one of the first indie guys I looked up to. Um, him and M-Dog, Matt Cross, like I saw them on the Backyard Wrestling video game, found out they were from Cleveland. So like those guys were like huge role models for me and idols. And so like to have Josh pull me inside and basically say, Hey, you're an asshole. Uh, that was kind of a wake up call. And, uh, from that there on out, like, you know, I, I started shutting up and, uh, doing what I had to do to show people, you know, even if I have this disability, even if I'm five foot four, I'm going to be a good wrestler. I'm not going to have to tell you, I'm going to show you. Now, um, this, you kind of touched on this, but, um, because of your disability, did you find it harder to have people that wanted to work with you in the ring? Were people like shying away from that or were people just, you know, accepting of it? I think for the most part, people were accepting of it. I, I think the only problems that I've really, uh, come across over the years is when guys, uh, if, if anything, they're almost afraid to be a bad guy against me and make fun of me because of my disability. Like they always kind of pull me inside and go, Hey, uh, is it okay if, you know, I, uh, I, you know, poke fun at your hand a little bit. And I'm always, I'm so open to it because I, I'm like the ultimate underdog and, and being, being a guy with a disability, like that's like, that's the ultimate dick move to do to be a bad guy and make fun of something like that. Something that's beyond a person's control. So I, I'm always all for it. And I just, I always like, I, I could see why people ask me, but then I always think to myself, like, why is that even a, a question? Like, of course you can make fun of it. That's why it's, that's why it's here. You know what I mean? Like if you didn't acknowledge it, what else do I have? You know, yeah. <laughs> like, like, I mean, not, not to take away from my athletic ability. Cause I think I'm, you know, I think I'm okay. And I think I'm okay with storytelling and, and I, I've got some uh, cool things that I do, but for the most part, like the big story is the disability. And if you ignore something that I think to, to most fans, like is, is obvious and is right there, you know, you're, you're kind of selling yourself short and you're, and you're selling the, sh- the story short. Okay. Now it's 2014. You mentioned you've been in the business now for about eight years. Uh, can you give me your highest and lowest point that you've uh, achieved so far in professional wrestling? Wow. Uh, well, you know, I've had a lot of high points uh, and I'm very fortunate for that. You know, I, I'm, I'm grateful about this point that I can make decent money in wrestling. You know, it took me, you know, five or six years before I was able to do that. Um, and, and not a lot of guys can make decent money on the independent level. And especially, you know, I'm not a guy who's with, with some of the bigger companies like Dragon Gate or Ring of Honor, or I'm not even with Chikara anymore, but, but I've somehow 
been able to carve out a niche for myself where I'm getting constant work and I, I'm teaming with a guy like Zach Allen that, you know, 10 years ago I, I looked up to and never even imagined that I would share the same ring with him. So it's like, it's, it's awesome that I get to make money professional wrestling. And, uh, you know, obviously the thing I did with CM Punk and Cole Cabana back in 2011, like that really pulled my story out and into the mainstream and, and, uh, really brought my story to the forefront. And, you know, that got me in sports illustrated and, and on ESPN.com and, and on Fox news in New York. So like that was crazy. I've had great matches with great guys, guys like M dog that again, I looked up to before I got into wrestling, Johnny Gargano, who helped train me. And, you know, I, I look up to you so much and has become one of my best friends. And, you know, I've got to wrestle guys like great hammer Valentine and Tracy Smothers. And I wrestled Zach Allen one-on-one and, and there's just, uh, there's so many guys, Rhino, I, you know, there's so many guys that I would have never in a million years thought like, Hey, I, I, not only will I wrestle these guys one day, I'll be able to hang with them. Like, and, and I, I've been able to say that I could do that despite my affliction, despite the thing that everyone said was going to stop me from living my dream. So I guess that to me is a high point. Uh, as far as low point, I mean, I, you know, I've honestly never stopped to think of <laughs> the lowest point in my wrestling career, but I mean, you know, there was a lot of sacrificing in those first years. Uh, I, it's, it's ironic. I think like the lowest point for me was um, probably right before the CM Punk thing happened because like it was almost one of those uh, situations where you're at the fork in the road. And, you know, I had been working a real job and wrestling for five straight years. The first time I ever got paid for wrestling was eight months after I started wrestling and it was in Pittsburgh, three hours away from home, and I got paid five dollars, and I was so happy to make five dollars. But it, and then, but it started getting to a point with five years later where, you know, five dollar paydays and twenty dollar paydays and the occasional big forty or fifty dollar payday and no gas money. It, it wasn't cutting it, mm-hmm. and it was all. And I I just lost my job in real life, um, so right before the CM Punk thing, that was in July of 2011. May of 2011, I have no job. And I'm still wrestling every weekend for no money. And I'm trying to figure out, man, what do I do? Like, I, I only did, like, half a year of college to go try to be a wrestler because I didn't want to live in regret. And I was doing it. But I wasn't making the money at it. So it's like, it was one of those situations like, geez, like, what's my next move? And I almost canceled that booking in Chicago where the thing with Punk Savannah happened. And it's just crazy to think about because I, I, I didn't have money to get there. And my brother gave me 50 bucks to get to Chicago. And if he wouldn't have did that, I might've canceled that booking. And the thing with CM Punk might've never happened. I mean, that wasn't something I was told about. It was something that, you know, was, was planned a couple days in advance. And I had, it was, it was going to be a surprise. So I would have canceled, you know, the biggest life changing moment, uh, of my life, you know? So it's like, that was probably my lowest point, having no job, no money, still wrestling for no money and wondering what to do next. But, uh, you know, you have to take those situations and you got to fight through them. you got to keep going, especially, like I said, if you love something and you're passionate about it, eventually that passion shows through. And someone's going to see it, someone's going to acknowledge you for it, and then everything changes. Okay. Uh, and for uh, anyone who's listening that doesn't actually know what, what Greg's talking about, um, you were at a show in Chicago and you were – with it was uh, Cole Cabana was also on the show, and yeah. after a match, um, this was also when CM Punk was still with the WWE, and 
he came out to and and I don't know exactly how many people were there, but you know it was a I would assume a typical independent show. Sure, yeah, a couple hundred people were there, and um, you know to have somebody of that caliber to come out and basically he just gushed over how great Gregory is and um, you know I'm telling the story for you. I don't know why, but <laughs> um, but yeah, you can take it from there. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, it was one of those situations where. Uh, I had been wrestling for AAW in Chicago for a couple years, just doing dark matches. I'd never even been on the main show. And then all of a sudden, about a week before the show, um, I started getting text messages from um, a guy by the name of Ricky Shane Page, who wrestles out of Ohio. And uh, he texted me and saying, hey, uh, Danny, the promoter, wants to make sure you're on the show this week, and blah, blah, blah. And, and again, I was contemplating canceling. And I was like, yeah, I'll be there. And then he said, like, you're teaming with Cole Cabana and Cole was a guy that I'd gone to for the last few years for advice, just writing him online and talking to him at shows, trying to figure out, you know, what do I do to be successful as a wrestler? So I didn't want to miss that opportunity to team with Cole. So, uh, I was like, man, I really want that to happen. And then I find out we're randomly teaming against the tag team champions on the main show. So, um, I, it, it all, it felt like a weird situation in general. Cause, um, cause it was like, I've never even wrestled on the main show, and now I'm on the main show, and I'm teaming with Colt. So, like, what the heck is going on here? So uh, that's when I went to my brother, and I was like, hey, man, like, I got this good opportunity coming up in Chicago, teaming with this Colt Cabana guy, kind of a big deal. Um, and you'd be able to loan me, like, just, like, 50 bucks to get to Chicago. Because I was getting paid some money, but it wasn't enough. You know, I didn't have anything to get there. So he, he gave me 50 bucks, and, uh, you know, I, I drove to Chicago. And when I got there, Walked in the building, got my gear, just going to warm up in the ring a little bit, and I see CM Punk. And I'm like, holy crap, because this was the same week that the Money in the Bank thing just went down. Mm-hmm. He won the belt, he left the company, and uh, I see Punk standing there, and I'm like, oh, God, what do I do? Like, I had to freak out moment because, you know, CM Punk is awesome, and he's the WWE champion, and, you know, all that good stuff. So it's kind of like I walked up to him nonchalantly, and I just go, hi, I'm Greg, nice to meet you. And he kind of smirks at me and he just goes, hi. And I remember distinctly walking away and walking back to Ricky, who I drove with, and this kid, Eric Ryan, Bobby Beverly, and I go, you know, the weirdest thing just happened. Like, I said hi to CM Punk, and he, like, said hi to me back, but it was, like, almost like he knew who I was. And, uh, and then, so, like, the whole night, I was just thinking, like, man, like, what should I say to him so I can get some advice from him? Or, like, I don't want to bug him and blah, blah, blah. So, of course, you know, I plan the match, me and Colt, and uh, we have the whole thing we're going to do, and we do the match, and I know Punk's watching in the back, so I'm so nervous. And uh, afterwards, you know, Colt cuts his promo in the ring, and he puts me over, and if it would have ended there, it would have been great. And then Colt kind of put the mic down. He said, stay right here in the ring. And so then he grabs Punk, and Punk comes out. And, you know, I think I'm just going to be – in the background of this WWE storyline. Cause he's just done the thing at the comic con, uh, the weekend before where he showed up and that went viral on YouTube and stuff. So I was thinking like, Oh man, this is going to go viral. And you know, I'm going to be seen in the background and it's sweet. Maybe somebody will know who I am. <laughs> That's great. And then he comes out and, uh, he walks up to me before he even grabs the mic and he shakes my hand and he goes, you all right. And I shake my head. Yeah. And, uh, and I, he goes, you're fucking awesome. And then like instantly, 
I have this moment where I get like choked up and I'm like, Oh God, like that was crazy. Like, I can't believe you said that to me. And like, but like, he didn't say it to live crowds. So it was one of those things where it was like, man, like, yeah, he didn't say it to everybody, but I can always know that CM Punk told me I was awesome. Like, man, that, that's, that's a cool thing. And then he grabs the mic and he goes, you know, part of my language, but you're fucking awesome. And so then I'm like, oh, wait, he just said that on the mic now. Like, okay. And then, like, I, and then I just, I couldn't even contain myself. And I, I started crying because, like, I, I always feel like a pansy about it. Like, because I just started, like, crying in the ring. But, like, um, I don't know. At that moment, everything he was saying and everything that was happening just became so surreal. Like, it was, it was like, so dreamlike because, um, A, I didn't expect that. And, B, it, it's just none of it made sense. Like I was teaming with Cole Cabana, a guy that I loved and, uh, you know, the WWE champions in the ring and he's saying all these nice things about me and it felt like a dream, but it was real. So it was like one of those things where it was like, I, I had this overwhelming feeling of like, this was like my moment. Like, I don't, I didn't know if it was going to be like the top moment in my life. If I were going to hire, but like I, it was this realization that like, wow, like everything I've ever gone through, everything that I've ever struggled for, everything that I've ever worked hard for, like it's, it's coming to a head right now. Like I'm, I'm finally getting like that acknowledgement that like that and, and that feeling that it was all worth it. And, uh, then I get hoisted on their shoulders and, and carried around the ring and the crowd's chanting my name. And it's just like, um, it's crazy. It's like, I think if, you know, obviously the goal for any wrestlers is to make a bunch of money and get signed to a contract and go to WWE. And I'd love to do all those things, but like, I don't know if, even if I went to WWE, if I can get a moment any greater than that moment I had in Chicago, because it was just, it was so real and so genuine. So when I started crying, like that was like tears of like joy, like uh, tears of like the realization that like, if you work hard, like good things are possible, like dreams come true. And it sounds so cliche, but like, you know, I'm, I'm only one person and I'm the only person that's ever going to have that moment. But like, it was so cool to be able to share that moment with those people in Chicago and then for it to go viral online and to put my story out there and to be able to help people on a wider level, like talking to people with disabilities on Facebook and Twitter and, 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 or people that know people with disabilities or people that struggle with drug addiction that know my mom's story. And, uh, it's just like, a an incredible blessing. Uh, and you know, I appreciate it every single day. Um, I mean, once again, and, uh, most of this is on, I've seen the video on YouTube and all kinds of places. So you should definitely check it out if you haven't seen it. Cause it's just, uh, it's one of the most real, I guess, real emotional moments that I've ever seen. And I'm like you, I've watched professional wrestling forever. So, um, sure. Now we're gonna get into real quick the um, the formation of the handicap heroes with you and Zach Gowan. Um, you guys teamed up and you take on pretty much anybody and everybody out there today. Earlier, I when I spoke with Zach, I asked him this question and I want to see if you guys match. So okay, he's I said, um, who is your dream tag team opponents? Oh God. Um... <laughs> Uh, currently wrestling or just in general? Just in general. Holy crap. Uh, wow. Um, I mean, if I could like go back like in time and like in their prime, I don't know. I would pick someone ridiculous. Like, 
the Rockers or the Legion of Doom or, uh, man, like, just, I think currently it would be the Hardy Boys. Like, if we could do the Handicap Heroes versus the Hardy Boys, like, that would be insane. Uh, we've actually got to know Matt really well and, and Jeff uh, a little bit over the past couple of years, and uh, they've been so cool and uh, so helpful in helping spread the word of the handicap heroes and, and what we're trying to do. Um, so I think if I were to pick like a current team that's active and, and a team of guys that like I thought were awesome as a teenager and still think are incredible today, it would be the handicap heroes versus the Hardy boys for sure. Okay. Now he, you, you guys were pretty close on that, but he said the young bucks. Young bucks would be great too, man. I love those guys. Like, I, you know what? I think, uh, I think he's after the handicapped young bucks. I'm just saying. No, I, I, I think that uh, that's a match that should definitely happen. And I don't know anybody who's listening, FWE, um, House of Hardcore, Northeast Wrestling, any any of our promotions here in the Northeast that that want to do that, you should do it just for for me and for these guys. Yeah, and you know what? Zach Allen has a heck of a super kick. You got to see it. he was he was dropping some really really awesome puns earlier so um, i'm sure he was he'll appreciate that um now wwe has uh their own anti-bullying campaign called be a star um it's been noted that you were a victim of bullying yourself um what advice would you give someone who may be suffering from bullying today or you know um was in similar situations as you Ah, uh, man, you know what? The the difference between when I was coming up and today with bullying is, um, you know, when I was a kid, I get bullied at school. I get bullied when I was out in public, but then I could go home and the bullying would stop. You know, I didn't really, you know, the internet was still in its infancy. I didn't really have a computer. Uh, I definitely didn't have a cell phone. Um, and we didn't have cell phones with the internet. So the things with kids now is, you know, you can go home but the bullying doesn't end. You know, it keeps happening on Facebook and Twitter and uh, via, you know, phone calls and text messages and, and the internet in general. And it's just, uh, sometimes it seems like there's no escape, but like for any kid out there who's currently getting bullied, all I could say is you've got to realize that eventually it, it ends. And uh, whatever your situation is now, it eventually gets better. You just got to wait. And sometimes the waiting is the hardest part, but you know, I, I wasn't the coolest kid in school. I, I don't think I'm still the coolest adult to be quite honest, but, but I think that like, I, I always have these moments where, um, I, I've done so much more than I ever thought I could do. Like I tricked myself into being successful almost. Cause like I, I started out as this like, you know, cocky punk kid with a chip on my shoulder because everybody made fun of me. So it was like, I was out to prove the world wrong. And, you know, I would tell people, like, oh, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be successful. I'm not a dork, and I'm not a loser, and I'm not just some dumb cripple, and I'm, I'm going to live my dream, and I'm going to do everything that you say I can't do. Uh, and uh, somewhere along the way, when that stuff started happening, because of how driven I was and how hard I was working and how I, I, just, I stopped paying attention to the critics and the bullies, um, and it started happening, it was almost like, oh, crap, like, I'm actually doing this. And it's, it's almost like, uh, you kind of have those moments, uh, every now and then where you're like, man, like, you know, 
I didn't even think this was possible. And so for any kid that like is going through problems right now, you have to understand that you're not always going to be in the same exact situation that you're in right now. Things change, people change, and you grow up. You know, you're not always going to have those pimples on your face, and you're not going to have always going to have to wear a pair of glasses. You'll be able to get contacts, and you're not always going to wear the worst clothes. Like you can get better clothes, and and at the end of the day, if some of that stuff doesn't change, it doesn't matter. You have to learn to love and accept who you are. People come up to me all the time, and uh, you know, especially like religious folk, and and they always say to me like, you know, if I could. I could somehow change your hand for you and like make it better. Like I would, and I always say to them, I wouldn't want you to change it. Uh, I, I wanted so desperately not to have this messed up arm when I was a kid. Uh, but as I got older and I got to understand like the importance of, of my disability and like what I could do with it and, and how I can share my story with people and motivate people and, and how it essentially helped me become a wrestler. I wouldn't change this disability ever. And I'm so grateful that there was nothing that could be done to fix my disability. Cause I went to the doctors and I tried to figure out, you know, surgeries and things of that nature to, to, to get it changed. And there's nothing that could be done. And, uh, I'm so glad that it can be fixed and I wouldn't fix it for anything in the world. You have to be happy with who you are because you're the only you, you're never going to completely change. You're the same heart. You're the same soul and you're always going to be that same soul. So you have to grow to love that part of you and embrace it and make the best of it. Okay. Um, uh, once again, I just, uh, I hope that anybody who's listening, uh, can, you know, get online and look up some more about Gregory iron and Zach Allen, both for that matter, because they're truly inspirational people. You are an uh, inspiration to many people. Who is your biggest inspiration? Right now, it would have to be, uh, well, there's two people. There, there's Zach Allen, and then I legitimately mean that, even though we poke fun at each other, Zach Allen, and uh, I have a beautiful girlfriend, Mary, and uh, she's very positive and supportive in everything I do, and, uh, you know, I couldn't ask for a better person in my life. Okay. Um, when life hands you lemons, you... I make lemonade or... Um, I don't know, put it in my water and not make lemonade because that's not <laughs> enough for just lemonade. <laughs> who is your favorite wrestler of all time? Hulk Hogan. Okay. Uh, that's who I grew up with, uh, the Hulkster. <laughs> okay. Now, um, this kind of goes back to something I heard about whenever uh, you were trying to come up with a, a wrestling name. So what are your thoughts on Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man? Oh, he's good as Iron Man. Uh, I I suck as Iron Man. I'm glad I was an Iron Man because that's that's a terrible name for a wrestler. Because Iron, there's only one Iron Man, and that's uh, you know that's the Iron Man. And uh, Robert Downey Jr. did a heck of a job. Okay, and lastly, your dream opponent, Shawn Michaels. Let's bring Shawn Michaels out of retirement because I I don't know. Like he's he's the one guy that uh, and, and you know if, if we're talking any era, I feel like he could bring the best out of anybody and. Uh, Shawn Michaels is one of those guys that uh, I don't care how far wrestling goes, Shawn Michaels will be someone that guys can look back on and go, like, man, that guy could do it all. Whether it's like, as far as like, you know, Lucha Libre or just high flying technical stuff, like, and, and just the little things he, he does. Like, you know, I can't be a Shawn Michaels because of my disability, but there's so many little things that he does in the ring 
as far as transitions and the way he tells a story that um, I can learn from and a lot of young wrestlers can learn from just, just by watching and paying attention to his matches and, and to be able to work with a guy like that, man, that would be the coolest thing possible. So, Shawn Michaels. Where can you be found on um, like social media? Do you have Twitter and uh, Facebook and all that stuff? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Gregory Iron. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash the handicapped hero. I'm on Instagram at Gregory underscore Iron. And if you can't remember all that stuff, you can go to my official website, which is Gregory Iron.com. And you can also find not only our wrestling tees at Pro Wrestling Tees, but Gregory Irons as well, correct? That's right, prowrestlingtees.com slash Gregory Iron. All right. Well, we uh, thank you very much. We hope that you have continued success. You and Zach both. You're both great guys. Good, man. Thanks for having me on the show, and uh, I hope I didn't ramble too much. Wow, Gregory Iron. uh, I want to thank him again very much for coming on the show. Truly an inspiration, and I see a lot of big things happening for this guy in the future. Um, He seems to be just in a great place in life. He hasn't let his handicap define who he is. He's using it to his advantage, and uh, I wish nothing but the best for this guy. That's right. Uh, but speaking of handicap heroes, joining us right now is the other half of the handicap heroes. That's Zach Gowan. Zach, thanks for being on the show. Hey, thanks very much. I, I put the leg in legend. Yes. Uh, and my, my career path, I wouldn't recommend uh, to any aspiring wrestler my career path, which was... I hit its peak six months in, and then I burned it to the absolute ground about five years in, and then I've been crawling and fighting ever since. But uh, I, I'm happy to say that I'm at a place of, uh, of, of peace, and uh, I've never been happier where I'm at now. So it's nice to uh, nice to talk with you, and thank you for the interest in my story. No, absolutely. Um, now, for anybody out there that doesn't know, I'm going to just briefly tell everybody that Zach Gowan at a very early age, it was eight years of age, if I do say so, um, you were diagnosed with cancer, and they yeah. had to amputate your leg. That's correct, yeah. Okay. So, the wrestling business is hard enough to get into if you, know, if you have no obstacles, but you had a ton. So, what... what kept you going when you know other people would have just stopped? Well, uh, it was my love for professional wrestling and, and what it meant to me as a child growing up. See, wrestling provided a much-needed escape um, growing up, and you touched on uh, uh, one part of my childhood. Uh, I didn't have the best upbringing, upbringing in the world. You know, obviously, uh, losing a leg to cancer will do that. Uh, but, you know, also not, you know, my dad took off, you know, when I was four years old, and and I grew up just kind of feeling left out and not feeling like I quite fit in anywhere, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but all of those feelings just left when I when I would watch wrestling, um, and uh, and so it's something that I have a deep seated love and respect for, um, and that you know as most people uh, or most guys when they grow up, like their love of wrestling kind of goes away with their age as they grow up. But for me, it just intensified. Uh, so when there was an opportunity to actually get in the ring. Uh, I, I hopped at that chance because, uh, and it was, it, it really, I mean, it was, uh, the stars and planets all lined up because I was, I was the right size. Um, I was athletic. 
and I had a drive and determination to be good, uh, plus my love of wrestling too. So it all, it, I mean, it all, it all came together. Uh, if, if any of those one elements weren't there, uh, when I started out, I wouldn't be talking to you now. So, uh, so that makes me very, very appreciative of the business for sure. Absolutely. Now, at what age did you decide that you were going to be a pro wrestler? I decided at the age of 16 I was going to be a professional wrestler, um, and I told everybody who would, with an earshot that when I grow up I'm going to be a professional wrestler, and most people nodded politely and, and patted me on the head and said, oh, that's good for you, Zach. It's always important to have dreams to work towards, <laughs> but nobody really believed that I could do it except for me. Um, and, uh, and so that was at 16, and at and 18, I, right after I graduated high school that summer, I, I started training. Okay. Now, um, after setting your mind to becoming a pro wrestler, um, were you met with opposition from your family or friends? Uh, you kind of touched on it, but were did you have some people that were really behind you? Not really. I but I it, it didn't. I didn't care. I didn't. No, nobody was behind me, and nobody was uh, against me either. Yeah. You know, um, it was just something that I did, and I had tunnel vision for. Um, and it really, it didn't matter to me what anybody else thought about, about what I was doing because, uh, it was because the, the first time I stepped foot into, um, uh, a wrestling ring and I'm throwing so many bad puns at you, but the first time <laughs> I, I stepped foot in a, in a wrestling ring, I felt like I was exactly where I was supposed to be, uh, at that moment for the first time in my life, you know? Um, and there was a certain magic uh, that kind of went, uh, in and through me. And, and since then, uh, I've been pursuing that, you know, it, 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 I've never felt that strongly about anything in my life up until that point, you know? So of course I went at it with, uh, with all the, with all the vit, vit, bigger, uh, uh, one would, uh, one would think. Okay. Now, how are you received in the locker room when you first started your, your career as a pro wrestler? It was fine. It, 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 see, it was so different for me because I was doing these uh, 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 BS. I'm not sure if we can swear on this or not. But can, I was doing you, these, yeah, you can do whatever you'd like. Oh, cool, man. <laughs> I, was doing the, I was doing these bullshit uh, little indie shows in front of, literally, like, they're like half backyard, half legitimate uh, wrestling shows in front of 20, 30 people, you know? And, um, and so there was, a, there was no, nobody taught me anything about uh, a code of ethics or or, or anything like that, because the people that I was rolling around with didn't have an understanding of how the business worked. And so when I was cherry picked uh, by WWE less than a year into, into my career, uh, it was a culture shock for me to be placed in, on that level uh, in that environment with these guys that uh, do this for an actual living, and it's how they support themselves and their families. You know, so uh, so there was definitely a, a culture. I was fine on the indies. Uh, because what I did really didn't have much of an impact. But once I got to WWE, and, and, and it, was, uh, it, was, it, was, it was a very uh, challenging transition for me uh, to learn how to uh, conduct myself as a professional. Now, um, you just touched on it. You were brought up to the WWE, and within you know not too long at all, you were in, in the main events fighting uh, alongside Hulk Hogan, Vince McMahon. We've heard this a lot from some wrestlers that have experienced a fast rise of stardom. Do you think you received too much too soon? Yeah, that's. I mean, that's of course. That's exactly what it was. I was. Uh, yeah, you, I mean, you hit it. Uh, it, was, it was too much too soon for me to. I, I wasn't emotionally uh, mature enough to accept that gift 
that was being handed to me. And that's the key. It was, this was being handed to me. It wasn't something that I, that I, that I grinded out for 10, 12 years, you know, trying to perfect my craft and finally got this opportunity. Just like anything else, you know, if something's handed to you, you don't appreciate it as much as, as if, uh, as if, you know, for example, you work all summer, uh, to save up to buy a car and, and, and you fix the brakes and you change the oil and, and you, and you, and you get your license and then it's like your car, it's your baby, you know, Absolutely. uh, and, and you can appreciate that car a lot more than, you know, uh, a brand new car later on in life or something like that. But, uh, yeah, it was just a case of, of too much to do. Okay. And it's now 2014, 12 years have gone by since you, uh, debuted, can you give us your highest point in uh, professional wrestling and then maybe one of your your lows? Sure. The, the highest point of professional wrestling is, is ongoing. Um, and it's my uh, it's my tag team with Gregory Iron, who is the, uh, uh, the only wrestler in the world that has uh, cerebral palsy. And he was inspired to become a professional wrestler when he saw me on WWE, WWE TV. And he said to, he said to himself, if Zach can do this, uh, then I can do this too. Um, and, uh, through, you know, very serendipitous moments, uh, years later, <clears throat> we are, we've, we've combined forces, you know, and, uh, and we help each other out and, uh, we spread, we spread a message of hope and inspiration and it's completely our, uh, undertaking. Um, and it's, uh, it's so amazing to be able to connect with these audiences as deep as we do. Um, and I believe that together we're somehow the, the, the the uh the sum is greater than 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 uh the parts um and it's it's totally amazing anytime i i can i can step into a ring with him uh he really brings out the best of me and i i hope that i can bring out the best too um so that's what's going the the probably a low point in my uh in my career is is just doing these uh towards uh, i've been i i've been in uh in uh recovery and i've been sober uh for for four and a half years now um, and, uh, towards, towards the end of my addiction and my alcoholism, things got really bad, uh, with, with, you know, personally and professionally. And I would do these bullshit shows for these scumbag promoters and, and they would, you know, pay me in, in drugs. Um, and you know, that, how can, how can I take any pride in, in me, uh, or my work, uh, you know, when I'm going out there in, in the middle of nowhere, America, getting paid, you know, 20 pills, or, or whatever it is, you know, it's just, it's just so sad. And it makes me, um, it, it makes me sad to think about it, but it also makes me incredibly grateful, uh, to see the progress and how far I've come. And I've been able to gain the trust of this industry back. And I've been able to gain my standing back within this industry. And I've been able to do some amazing things with Greg. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that, it kind of puts things into perspective and it makes me grateful, uh, that there is an interest, like you said, even 12 years later, uh, it's kind of been like a, a, a rebirth of, of sorts for me. Okay. Now, um, I'm sure you know this, but there's currently another one-legged wrestler named Chris Melendez. Uh, have you spoken with him? And also, how does it feel to know that you've inspired others to chase their dreams? I love it. And I take absolutely no credit for uh, Chris Melendez's uh, success. Um, uh, you, you know, he, this is a guy who, who, who had, who had a dream before he, he lost his leg. And for those who don't know, he, he lost his leg and overseas fighting for this country in, in an IED attack. Um, and he still followed his dream of becoming a professional wrestler. And I think that story is just transcends all of wrestling. And I think it's a story that 
that the the public and the world can can kind of grab onto. Uh, yeah, I, I've spoken with him. Um, I don't I don't know him. I've never met him face to face, but he seems like a really nice guy. And uh, I think it's I think it's absolutely awesome um, that he's he shows in this career. Uh, and again, I take I take absolutely no credit in his success. Uh, I wish him all the best. And that door is open. Uh, if if uh, that door is absolutely open, if he has any questions, comments, concerns, uh, any advice, I can I can kind of pass along my experience uh, down to him. I'd be more than happy to do it. That's amazing. Um, now you just mentioned the the handicap heroes. You and Gregory Iron team up to take on pretty much any and every team out there today. Um, I'm going to ask Gregory this later, but I'd like to find out from you what would your dream tag team opponents be? Uh, well, I'll give you two. I'll give you. Uh, how about this? I I would say our dream tag team opponents would be the Young Bucks at uh, WrestleMania. Oh wow! <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. That would be because here's the thing, man. I, I, you know, obviously the, the young bucks are the are the best thing in professional wrestling right now, bar none. Um, and they are the, and that's what every tag team in the world should be aspiring to be. They should aspire to to, to create to just to be at that level of, of success those guys have attained. And they're so inspirational to me because they've done that without the backing of WWE or TNA, mm-hmm. right? They've they've done it strictly. Uh, independent, and they've they've made themselves the hottest action wrestling, and so uh, it's uh, to me like they, they they wrestle the kind of they, they wrestle the way that I enjoy watching. I enjoy watching that style of wrestling, and they do it the best. Um, and so I would say you know the Young Bucks for sure. And I said WrestleMania because that would be the biggest platform, and they that would be the biggest paycheck too. So <laughs> as as a 31 year old father, I'm always I'm always looking. I'm trying to. Uh, trying to save up for college here for my son so uh so yeah yeah i would say the young bucks you are an inspiration to many people who is your biggest inspiration my biggest inspiration i'm going to give you four names and those four names are sabu rob van dam and uh jeff and matt hardy awesome um when life hands you lemons you <laughs> Uh, when life hands you lemons, you, you throw those lemons right back at life. Okay, okay. Favorite wrestler of all time? Sabu. Who is the coolest Zach other than yourself of all time? The coolest, uh, Zach Morris. Okay. Uh, and lastly, the fa- your favorite match that you were ever involved in? Favorite match I was ever involved. Uh, I would say the, uh, the wrestling, the Big Show. Uh, that was that was that was huge for me. Uh, and that that was that there was a there was a cool moment after that match where, where the crowd is just uh, so behind me and and they're so and there's such a deep connection there where for, for the first time in my career and again my career was probably a year at that point a year's worth of matches I, I felt that this could be something that I could do. Uh, uh, for a very long time because it, because it, this is really good, but I, I want it to get better. Okay, and lastly, can you know where can you be found on? Uh, everybody's got social media and stuff today. Is there anything that you're excited you want to tell us about? Yeah, I'm. I'm going to be all over the East Coast the next few months, man. That's what it, it really like a lot of, which is kind of neat for me because I've. I've wrestled everywhere except 
for the East Coast. So, okay. Uh, so, so for the next for the next few months, I'm I'm all, all up and down the East Coast from Rhode Island, uh, New York, New Jersey, um, places like that. So it, it, all of it can be found at zachallen.com and of course Twitter, Facebook, and all that stuff. Okay. Um, that's pretty much it for our interview today. We want to thank you very much for coming out. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me again. Thanks for the interest. Zach Gowan, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, once again, another great guy. Uh, fun to interview. You can see he uh, has some fun with his uh, his disability and has some good leg jokes. Um, we look forward to seeing both of these guys at in June. Steve will yeah. be at the uh, New England Pro Wrestling Fan Fest in uh, Providence, Rhode Island. That's right. Uh, I mean, guys... Zach, Gregory, thanks for joining us today. Uh, we really appreciate your time. It was great talking to them, and I really hope that these underdogs get a, get a chance on the bigger spotlight. So WWE, if you're listening, give these guys a call. They uh, they know what they're doing. You know what I'm saying? So uh, guys, thanks again for joining us. But Jonathan, uh, this this ends our 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 2014 year right now. I mean, 30 shows. We did a lot. We started in June and. Uh, Wow, thirty shows since June. I mean, uh, we've been we've been rocking it uh, pretty hard. Yeah, I can't wait for. Like I said, I'm I'm hoping that we do at least fifty two shows next year. We hope so too, uh, guys. I mean, wow, twenty fourteen. A lot a lot has happened. If you guys are just tuning in for the first time ever. Start all the way back at one. Go to two. Make your way to three, and so on and so forth. There's a lot of shows that you missed. Uh, they're evergreen shows, right, Jonathan? I Meaning everything we're talking about, we're not trying to talk about Raw. We're not trying to talk about SmackDown or TNA. We're trying to talk topics. So you know, if you missed an episode, feel free to go back. It's still fun to listen to because we're still talking about a topic that will never die in a certain a certain extent. But uh, that's what another wrestling podcast is. That's what AWP is gonna. Is going to be doing in the new year. We're going to have a lot more interviews coming up, and especially this week, Jonathan. We're also doing another show this week. You know why? Why? Because it's 2015 Friday, or Thursday, tomorrow. If you're listening to this today, it's tomorrow. And if you're listening to this next week, eh, that's where we already outdated ourselves. But, guys, 2015, our first show we're going to have on. Who, who, who are we going to have on? Jonathan, i got to um, to you. He's a Canadian. Um... He has been in every wrestling promotion that I can think of, and he is an all-around good guy, very knowledgeable about the business. Uh, it was a, it's, it's going to be a pleasure to talk to this gentleman, and he is none other than Lance Storm. If we could be serious for a moment, we're, we're dead serious that Lance Storm will be on tomorrow, guys. So check, check back in. Go back to anotherwrestlingpodcast.com. Hey, you guys could subscribe to us on iTunes, and it will automatically download when a new episode hits. So do that. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Even if you don't have iTunes, you can hop on Stitcher because that's another way you can listen to our show. Many ways to hear us, Jonathan, many different ways. All the links are on anotherwrestlingpodcast.com, but we don't want to talk your ears off about it. I mean, that's the end of 2014. I, I'm a little sad, but I'm, I'm happy as well. We want to thank you for listening today. We are an independent podcast. Every week we create something for you to listen to, and it's absolutely free. We are a wrestling podcast for wrestling fans, because after all, we are wrestling fans. If you enjoyed the show today, here are some ways you can help us out. 
first off, you can subscribe to our show on iTunes. While you're there, rate us and give us a good review. Why not? If you're looking for more AWP, then head on over to anotherwrestlingpodcast.com to find out more about upcoming guests and where we will be. Be sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and buy an official AWP shirt from ProWrestlingTees.com slash Another Wrestling Podcast. We couldn't do the show without you. So tune in next week for <sighs> Another Wrestling Podcast. <sighs> <sighs>